The Grim Drive podcast explores mental health through the lens of professional sports and athletes. Pro athletes come forward more and more with stories about their mental health journey, what they have endured, and how they manage to push through, reflecting a mental health stigma that continues to be reduced. Pro athletes also leverage mindset to achieve peak performance, as well as representing and often driving elements of popular culture through the use of social media, technology, and personal branding. This places athletes front and center as role models for people of all ages, giving them a platform to reach many and deliver important information, including information about mental health. Welcome to the Grim Drive Podcast, where we explore mental health through the lens of professional sports and athletes. Today, we're going to be discussing momentum in sports. I mean, we're going to give some examples of non-sports, you know, or, or everyday life kind of examples. Maybe towards the end, we'll, we'll toss around some um, some topics that relate to, to how momentum maybe plays a role outside of sports. But, you know, one question, the main question is for today is, is momentum in sports a real thing? This has always interested me. I've always thought it is, but more recently, I've you know I've heard particularly from a couple different angles. I think I've re- I didn't even get articles for this for this episode, so I apologize. I'll try to look for those, and maybe if I can find any, I can throw them in the show notes um, once we edit the episode. And um, with Dimitri's help, as always, thanks. Shout out to Dimitri and the Go Network. Mm. Um, we can put those those links in there as well. But Bill Simmons, you know, um, of the Ringer, he has Bill Simmons podcast. Everyone, I think most people know Bill Simmons if you're a sports fan. Um, has always talked about how he thinks uh, momentum is a real thing, and yet the the analytics guys do not. And I think so. He's he's definitely very close to analytics people in the sports world, particularly in basketball. I know he's he's, he's I don't know how I want to speculate how close he is with with Daryl Morey, but I know they know each other or they're friendly. I think um, Daryl Morey being um, I think he's the GM of the Philadelphia 76ers now was the GM of the um, Houston Rockets for a long time. He's the one that made the Harden trade, got Harden from Oklahoma City Thunder, mm-hmm. known as a fleecing of sorts. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, he had really brought analytics, was very analytics heavy into into the NBA. Yep. And I know every, I think every year or whenever the Sloan uh, conference at MIT happens, I think that's based around uh, analytics and numbers and sports and things like that. Uh, I think... Bill Simmons probably, you know, interacts with a lot of people around that event and, and people connected to it. Mm-hmm. So, because he, he's mentioned it quite a few times over the last five years. So, clearly, he's hearing from different angles that the analytics people just do not think momentum is a real thing. I think it is. I, I want to kick it to you, John, to, to talk a little bit about what you think and, and maybe what's, what are some examples. Yeah. Um, I definitely think it is a thing. Um I think I've seen enough examples. I, I, you know, I'm not an analytics guy. I've been very clear about that from day one on this podcast, and all of my friends will but, certainly well, hold tell on, you. Hold on, hold on. Right. You say you're not an analytics guy, yeah. and yet you crack the code on roulette. That's I fair. Don't, okay. I don't know if I'd go as far as to, don't shortchange yourself, <laughs> that's, man. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, I have cracked the code on roulette. I uh, listened to the previous episode to to hear um, the, the the secret to doing that. So yeah, certain analytics I can. Analytics in sports is like a triggering conversation for me, and 
check out any of the group chats with my friends and you'll you'll see uh, my reactions to some of that. Um, I think mainly because I feel like it takes the, the personality out of the game and just becomes like a numbers game. Mm. And I don't think that that's the, per- the real purpose behind sports. And I think that momentum is sort of like an enemy of analytics, right? Um, because it's not really quantifiable, right? It's like, how do you, how do you measure the shift of a game without being able to put a number to it? So I think in, in some regards, I think that's why the two of them don't go together. And, you know, analytics people will say like, it doesn't exist. And you know what? I, I don't know enough about it. And maybe they're right. Maybe that maybe numbers wise, there's no way and they can't prove. And there's been enough examples of like the numbers winning over momentum shifts. But I, it just, I've seen enough examples of, of things happening. And I bet every person who's listening to this can probably relate to a game or a match or <clears throat> anything where, or maybe not even with sports, where there was just this feeling you had that something was different about the game or that some some outcome of the game was going to happen based on something that you really couldn't put your finger on or it just felt like that was the way that it was going. Um, you know, some Boston-based examples, um, you know, the, the Falcons-Patriots no was, big deal. was, you know, <laughs> no big deal. But you had a sense, right, when that, when you saw Brady's reaction, just steady as On always. On both sides in opposite directions, man. Yes. Like, right? You could, you could sense that the Patriots were like start really believing and it was building yeah. and you could sense that the Falcons were playing not to lose. I think yeah. just yeah. that yes. act, right, playing not to lose is being defensive and that is a version of negative momentum in my right. opinion. I agree. And it's also sort of a recognition of like, uh-oh, right? And when you have an uh-oh type of mentality, you are going to play down to that versus we're 28 to 3 for a reason. Let's continue to doing what's what we're doing even though the shifting for the pitch. So, you know, I think that that was that was an example. I think Bruins being down 4-0 to the Leafs and coming back and winning that series oh, was right. was yeah. like a massive one and you Bergeron. knew that was happening. Bergeron, that, Bergeron yeah. man, Jack Edwards, that was such a call. Um, but you knew it. Right, you knew they were going to score those goals in that line. Luchas gets one, and you knew like it didn't know it was going to be Bergeron, but you knew that goal was getting scored. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. you just you knew that was happening. Yeah. And um, every analytics person would have told you the percentage of them coming back and winning that game was like point oh oh, like something. What right? was it? Thirteen, fifteen? Yeah, uh, fifteen. Uh, you know what? I don't know. Okay, yeah, somewhere, somewhere around, around there. Yeah, because um, yeah, Luchas was still on the team, so you you just you, you knew that was happening. Yeah. Right, tides had turned, wave was coming, Bruins were firing. Everybody was locked in. You could fans. tell fans were going yep. crazy. You knew that the like the the environment was set and the stage was right, and you could feel that momentum shift. And if you were to crunch the numbers in that situation, you'd be like, they're down for like, there's no way, right? They can't, they can't win. I remember me watching that game and turning it off because I was so upset. I like had to just like not watch it because I was too emotionally invested in the game, and then coming back and being like, holy smoke, what's happening? And then almost immediately, within like two or three minutes, I was watching them play. I was like, they're going to win this game. Like, I just, it just knew that was going to happen, mm-hmm. um, despite the analytics probably telling you couldn't, right? Another example, again, we're reliving the glory ones, of course, but Red Sox down 3 out of the Yankees and coming back and winning that yeah, series. Yeah. That's a big 04, one, 04. Yep. yep. The steal, Dave Roberts' steal really shifted things. Shifted yeah, it, yeah. right? And you could, and the, or a couple of the Ortiz home runs were big yep, momentum yep. shifts. And you just, again, like people in Boston, there was a feeling like people kind of like, no one really say it. Mm-hmm, no one would mm-hmm. dare say like they're going to win this, but everybody was feeling like something's happening. Yeah. Um, and so I, I definitely think that it's absolutely a contributing factor. I think how people respond to that shift 
there's a energy shift that goes on when something happens and how you harness those emotions that goes into that is really important. And I think that that's not something that you can really quantify. So I think we've seen enough examples to understand that it is a thing. Um, and I'd be really wary and apprehensive just sort of like shooing it away because the analytics disprove it or don't prove it. Right. Um, so I, I, I think we've seen, like I said, I think we've seen enough examples of these, of momentum changing the outcome of a game. Hockey's a really great example of like seeing momentum shifts, mm-hmm. um, like with either with fighting or with goals mm-hmm. or, you know, a, a great power play kill or something. Usually you can see like there's a, the bench looks different. It, like everybody kind of like looks different. It's it's an interesting thing, and you can't sort of be like, okay, yeah, they're they're dialed in, or you know, fifteen mm-hmm. percent of the team is now thirty. I don't know. I guess I have a hard time understanding that. Well, I, w- I would wonder if they've even looked at that specific. That specific one is kind of. I'm glad you brought it up because it kind of sticks out as one where I would, if I was an analytics person, I was trying to figure out does this exist or not, or or can I see it through numbers? I think is a better way to phrase it. Right. Performance after a hockey fight relative to what was going on before the fight. Yeah. Something I would probably, that's an uh, an intervention point, right? Yep. A place to intervene and look from a, a data perspective to see if anything comes up. Maybe yeah. they have looked at it. I don't really know. Yep. I think the, the thing that stands out about how you said it earlier, the one word that stood out to me is emotion. I don't think analytics, I don't think data captures emotion. And then we, we've talked, we've had conversations about like, there's a whole, field of people trying to figure out how to use AI and and data analysis to help people, whether it's psychologically or emotionally or things like that. And I think the the main hurdle they're running into is that you don't see that stuff in data and and especially not on the fly, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like, it's emotion is so complicated, right? That you can't, and it's always shifting and it is contagious collectively. And so how do you really predict that or understand it in the moment, right, mm-hmm. in real time? I don't think you can. And I don't think numbers are going to show it. And I think analytics people are kind of um, are kind of hamstrung a little bit by the fact that they, they sometimes think that if the numbers don't show it, that it doesn't exist. I agree. And that's not the case. I mean, just because yeah. you can't see it doesn't mean it's not there. Yeah, I mean, I think I, baseball is a good example of that. And, I, you know, I can't – I'm not going to be able to remember the, the, the game that I was watching. And I'm not a very big baseball fan and, and maybe it's because it's – super analytical and almost unwatchable mm-hmm. at points. Like, And there was one example, and this has happened many times, where there was a pitcher, I think it was like the sixth or seventh inning, I think he had like two hits, like 10 or 15, like was, was pitching out of his mind mm-hmm. um, and really well. And the pitch count, he reached his pitch count and that was it. Right, like had, a Red Sox had, pitcher had, recently had a no hitter and was taken out in the seventh inning. So perfect yeah, example, because right? Of that, yeah. How do you do that? Right, I, I, I and I, I, for a few reasons, I feel like that's really problematic. One is he's pitching; the person is pitching well, yeah. right? I understand like you got to protect the arm, you have to protect like maybe it's a health concern, but I don't really know. Um, and what that does to the actual athlete who's pitching like a fabulous game, and then it's like nope you're done. And there was one example of a game that I was watching that, that the one I brought up pitching really, really well, six or seventh inning and hit the pitch count and had to come out. And right then I was like, they're going to lose this game. And because I, the pitcher was pissed, was pitching really well, having one of the, probably one of his better games had to, had to come out, was mad about it. Mm -hmm. And that type to your point, that type of like that, that felt like a negative momentum shift, right? That felt like that type of energy, that type of emotion that he was feeling, that disappointment, that anger, that confusion, that disappointment spread. And I think that 
it was sort of like this ripple effect for the rest of the team where like that moment, um, that negative momentum shift happened on the mound, but everybody on the field felt it, right? Felt how, um, like, is this the right move, right? That little bit of doubt and, the, and then they lost the game. So this is, I'm glad you, this is a great example because it makes me think of like, this is how I would kind of characterize the difference between what the analytics guys think, analytics people think and are saying versus what I think they're missing. And I'm going to circle it back. Everything's coming full circle, Johnny, to your, uh, I know, I know you, you're, you know, you've said you've cracked the code and (laughs) double green is the way to beat roulette or spoiler alert. Still go listen to the last episode. But (laughs) Johnny's big revelation is that he cracked the code on roulette and that all you got to do is bet on double green. Okay. So, um, as a stipulation, we are not financial advisors (laughs) and this is not financial advice. Please don't go put a ton of money on double green. Yes. That being said, analytics guys would kind of kind of come at it from this this from this example on a roulette board part of what makes you as a cons- as a gambler as a consumer fall victim to the to the real odds with a roulette that are not in your favor is no. that you look at that board that has the numbers on it and when you see nine reds in a row what do you think red black it's oh yeah black oh right black, gonna, gonna right? flip you, it up nine reds yeah it's bound to flip yeah and what you don't realize, what the analytics guys do realize, or analytics people, I don't know why I keep saying guys, what the analytics people realize is that that doesn't matter. The, the, right. You know, it's a 50-50, sh- well, I may mean, get less than 50. Less than the, 50. Because of the green. Of my greens. Green. So maybe it's not even a, a bit less. It's like green is the way to go, right? Yeah. So it's, it's drastically less than 50. But That's what I'm saying. Let's say you got rid of the double greens just for the sake of this example. If you're flipping a coin and it, and it went up heads 10 times in a row and you're about to flip 11th time, it's still 50-50 that it's going to be tails or heads. Mm-hmm. It is not more in the favor of tails just because 10 heads just came up. The probability yep. is still the same. Yep. What analytics people would say is in a baseball situation, mm-hmm. we saw this in the play. I think we were watching a game last year in the playoffs yeah. that we were like, I think it was the Rays and maybe the Dodgers. Yeah. It was World Series. Where maybe that was the game. Yeah. I think I think it was because there was a, a Dodgers manager. I think I think he still is, Dave, Dave Roberts. He was last year. Very Dave Roberts, the same guy who stole the base. Stole this is ironic because, uh, like, the, the main guy who stole a base, which shifted the momentum clearly in the Red Sox-Yankees series in 2004. So you'd think he'd buy into that, has has really become, like, the poster child manager for analytics. Yeah. Just, just managing and governing through data and mm-hmm. not ha- not really doing it based on feel at all. He's someone that, in that situation and other situations, he'll he'll be the he'll look at the roulette thing, right, and be like, "Oh, nine reds, I don't care. I'm st- it's still fifty fifty. Mm-hmm. And I think the thing they miss is that this isn't just probability. There are humans involved. Yeah, this isn't a coin flipping. Right. It's not a a ball rolling around with probabilities. There are a bunch of people in a dugout impacting each other. Yeah, and that has an effect. And so mm-hmm. when you look at a situation in baseball. And the numbers are telling you, oh, I got to do this. And some managers swear by this and I believe them. And they look around, they see the guys and I'm like, and they're like, yeah, I know the numbers say this, but I'm picking up on X, Y, Z. That matters. Yeah. And, and you can't quantify it, I don't think, in any kind of data, in the moment kind of, no. you know, exploration. Yep. But it has an effect. And 100%. I think if I was a manager, that's the stuff I'd be paying attention to. And you're, you're not always guaranteed to be right. No. But I think that matters a lot more than just blindly believing the data. I agree. I think that I think that analytics people would say that moment, moment, those situations that I brought up, those those momentum examples, they would say those are the outliers, right? Yeah. They would say that those are not the majority. But to your point, I think we've talked about like polarities before, but like 
baseball is the prime example that has just gone way too far to analytics and they have lost and i think that it plays a major part and to a certain extent like sports was meant to be this place that humans came together to play something that they love to do right at its very core and base and baseball has come so far away from that and it's it's the opposite of the spectrum i think like the you ever seen moneyball yeah uh, yeah with brad pitt yeah That, that book great book by um who's the author I can't remember. Man, he wrote Liar's Poker. He wrote, um, I don't know, great author. Michael Lewis. Yeah, there it right? is. Um, great book, but also they made it into a movie with Brad Pitt. And it's all about Billy Bean and the Oakland A's and how they brought in analytics, right? Because yeah. they had no but, uh, you know, no payroll. No budget, yeah. And they had to do something creative, right? Mm-hmm. And so, it showed you that whole movie kind of pokes fun at the fact that before that, it's all these scouts who've been around for 30 years and they're like looking at the build of the guy and like mm-hmm. just ridiculous stuff that obviously doesn't play <laughs> doesn't any role do in anything. outcomes, okay? Yeah. Um, but they just done it for a long time and so they thought like they, that's what we do, right? Yeah. So, it was way too far on that side but now they've gone to the complete other side where yeah. it's like zero, almost zero percent feel, emotion, understanding mm-hmm. of the guys in the dugout, understanding of like, you, you know that there's moments where a manager can, can know, if they know their players... On a given day, because people are temperamental and they're emotional, on a given day, you might see something early on in the day in, in BP, in bank practice, or in something else with a guy where you're like, I, I think I think today's the day he's really going to lock in. Yep. Analytics aren't going to show that. No. But you know the person. And right. that, you know, that awareness is going to make you, is going to clue you into that and the data will never show it. So, mm-hmm. that's, I, I think, I agree. It's gone way too far to the other side. Yeah. Both are highly valuable, yeah. right? Of course, you need to know the analytics of the game. Of course, you need to understand like if a shift needs to happen or all those different things. Yep. I don't want to go on the tangent of a shift because I feel like it's kind of destroying the game. But whatever. <laughs> um, we won't go down there. But uh, you can tell I have my issues with yes, baseball. Yes, yes. Um, but I, I, it's... We are so programmed to be like, this isn't working. We got to do the exact opposite, right? And we forget that there are, there were reasons why that was working, right? And we're, and we're so quick to jump ship and try a different one that we don't take along with us the mm-hmm. stuff that was actually working. Mm-hmm. We just jump from back and forth. Yeah. And analytics and momentum or just the person, both of them are equally valuable in, in assessing a game and understanding momentum. And to your point, I think it's a perfect point of like, the numbers are telling me that I have to take this picture out, right? However, every single person in this dugout is like locked in on this picture and the picture is like dialed in and everybody is like, he's pitching well, we're on like on his back, mm-hmm. he's doing really well. And what would be the impact if I were to remove that, right? A good manager and a good coach can see that mm-hmm. um, and take that into account. And which some, is a hard can. thing, you know. There, there are moments where, you know, and this this is what t- it does take a talented manager who has a feel for people because there are moments where stubbornness and denial in the pitcher are going to make them think and talk like mm-hmm. they don't, they shouldn't be taken out, and the manager has to see, nah, I got to do it. Right. And there are other moments where it's exactly like you said, where they got to read between the lines, and be like. No, I think he does have a kind of thing. Yeah. And that's all about knowing the people and it's all about your own personal confidence in yourself as a leader and, yeah. and the mix of those things. Again, data is not going to show it, but yeah. yeah. And I think it, I think the data can act kind of like as a crutch for them in those situations being like, well, the data Agreed. told me. Scapegoat. It is. Yep. The data yep. told me I had to take that person out, right? Rather than being like, I had a feeling or yep. I had an inclination or I had, uh, you know, something just felt like I needed to do this. You can just be like, well, the data told me to do it. Yeah. yeah. Right. And it's just like an easy scapegoat mm-hmm. for the, for that type of behavior. So I don't know. I, I think that there's, there's definitely room for both. And in terms of like, you know, what we're talking about with momentum, I think it's there. I think that analytics would love to be able to disprove it though. Absolutely. I have, I wrote some notes about like, you know, I was trying to think in terms of 
the factors that I think relate to momentum in sports. And, and so I divide it up in two ways. I divide it up individual versus team sports. And then I divide it up in terms of negative momentum causing factors versus positive momentum causing factors. So from an individual sport perspective, here's what I had. I'll go through the negative and the positive for, for individual and team sports and then you tell me what you think. For an individual sport, in terms of the negative factors, I think breathing is one, right? If your breathing becomes off, if you're not focused on it, if you're not intentional about it, shortness of breath, or, you know, if you're panicking and then you're breathing too heavy, that can probably have an impact, I would imagine. Mm -hmm. um, recency bias, right? If you just had one, it's sort of like the roulette effect, right? If you have just had two, three bad points, like let's say tennis, for example, mm -hmm. points in a row, the recency bias is going to be like these, oh, that those things went wrong. If the person doesn't reset, then that's going to slide them as well. Yep. Um, momentum and slash confidence of the opponent, right? So, we talked about how, you know, with the Atlanta Falcons and the and the Patriots, I mean, that's a, a team sport example, but like, yes, sometimes people have um, their own momentum, but they also can pick up on the shifting momentum of the, of the people they're playing. Mm -hmm. And so, that plays a role. If you pick up on someone that looks like they got a little pep in their step all of a sudden, that's going to have an intimidating factor, right? Now, maybe not for pros who just say laser, laser focus, but, but it have, they, they got to have an awareness that it's that it's happening, right? Right. right. To be they, like, they're they're picking up. I got to do the same. Correct. So yeah. it's in their head to some degree. What they do with yeah. it, it might not be a negative slide, but it could be. Yep. And then cortisol release, right? When things are not going well, there's stress. Stress mm -hmm. equals cortisol release. That has a physical impact. So those are the negative factors individually. Positive, I kind of had like adrenaline, flow state, recency bias in a positive way. Mm -hmm. Um, and then picking up on the other person's negative uh, mindset slash momentum. So I think those are all things that, you know, on the negative and the positive side for individual sports. For team sports, on the negative side, I had um, emotion is contagious, right? We talked about how uh, through a team, through a dugout, um, through a bench of players, if the motion is, is negative and mm -hmm. pessimistic and oh, how do we not lose this? Like the Falcons, right? How do we, we play not to lose instead of playing to win? Mm -hmm. That is contagious. And then everyone gets tense and tight, right? Yep. That spreads throughout. We know emotion is contagious. Mm -hmm. There's actually research that covers how it is. So this is where like I'm surprised the analytics guys haven't looked at that because mm -hmm. it's there. There is some research that shows that emotion is contagious. So how could that not have an impact, right. especially among team sports? There's fear of, of letting the team down, right? These, there's a bond between players often. Yeah. So if their fear creeps in, like what if I let my team down, that's not a good mindset to be in. So that creates a momentum shift. Fear of embarrassment. Um, and then also how coaches respond. I think that could be a negative or positive factor. On the positive side, there's uh, an added layer of adrenaline, right? Team praise, things like that can kind of really create the uh, positive effect. Um, there's watching teammates play well, with which adds confidence. You see the yeah. play team playing well. Yep. It takes a little pressure off you. And then getting a lead, I think, can, can lead to momentum because you start playing with more confidence and more more. I would say you're more likely to be in a flow state because once you have a lead – not always, uh, but you can be in a more confident position where you can just lock into a flow state and not worry about things. Yep. Although I think that can there's, that could probably go both directions where if you have a lead, you let off the gas too much or, mm -hmm. and then you're not focused or that kind of thing. So, yes. that's I threw a lot at you, but what do you think about that? Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think, you know, well, yesterday and my... My French family and friends will hate me for bringing it back up, but France, um, Swiss, and the mm -hmm, Euros mm -hmm. yesterday was a kind of an example of like they they went down, which was not expected in the first half, um, and then and then some some momentum shifts. The France saves a PK to to not go down two zero. Yep. France comes back a minute later, scores a tying goal. Like almost immediately after that, scores another goal, goes up two one three one. 
and it's sort of they take their foot off the gas a little bit, and then they go on to, sh- to shootouts and they lose. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. I know you guys are probably still processing and working through that. Um, I love you all, but I are they, are they France fans? Yeah. So uh, one of my one of my friends is um, parents are from France, and I have some family members who um, who are French as well. Oh, so, cool. Um, I know yesterday was probably a, a devastation. So I'm here for you, uh, <laughs> but I am going to use it as an example of how you can see, like very clearly, yeah. that was a, one of the most recent examples of how momentum can really shift a, to shift a game, both positive and negative. Um, and I think they fell into the example that you brought up of. I think they took their foot off the gas a little bit of like, okay, right, we're good, everything's fine, like, don't worry about mm-hmm. it. And I think that they took, I think they got a little bit too comfortable um, rather than sort of continuing in the state that they were in, right? Mm-hmm. Like, keep in the flow state, keep pushing, keep doing what you've got to be yeah. doing. And I think they took their foot off the gas and sort of almost went the other way. Um, and the result did not yeah. end the way that they wanted it to. So, um I think that that's momentum is a, is a is a hard one, and I think when when I think about negative and positive momentum, I think it's I think it's something important. I think when you when you hear the best athletes talking about it, they usually talk about it of sort of just like I have the ability to be in that state and then actively choose how to respond to it and how to and how do I want to use this different stuff. Mm-hmm. And Kobe Bryant was the perfect example of someone who spoke about this like all the time. He was sort of just like th- things just come and go and I was able to just like sift through and filter what I wanted and what I didn't want and how those things were going. So mm-hmm. a shift in the game added some adrenaline to my system. Great. I'm going to use that um, until I don't need it anymore or until it becomes a problem. Because just like everything, if you have too much adrenaline, it can actually contribute to being a distracting factor or too much cortisol. You're not able to think as clearly. So you have to manage those different things. So Mm -hmm. I think that that the most prepared athlete is someone who has the ability to take this information and use it. I love that example. Like being able to almost, it's almost like you have a lot of emotional psychological data flowing through the air absolutely you know and you have the control and the ability to uh to spot out and latch on to the stuff that you choose to latch on to absolutely when you're done yeah takes a whole lot of skill but i think kobe was obviously someone that's very Uh, talented at that and that's i think i love that way that analogy that way of kind of describing it if athletes can find a way to tap into that and grab what they need and then discard when they don't that's a huge advantage yeah and i mean we talk about flow state like when preparation meets challenge right and um, that's just part of the preparation, right? Yeah. Of like learning to acknowledge the emotions that go into games and rather than like trying to be this emotionless stoic person, yep. which you might present that way, but you're obviously emotional when you're playing. Yeah. And if you just discount that or don't prepare for that, you, you leave yourself vulnerable to like either getting down on yourself yeah. or getting too hyped exactly. up on yourself. And both of those yeah. things can be really negative. It can have negative impacts on you or you can be like, wow, this things aren't really going well. How do we need to respond, right? Mm-hmm. You can just take what it is and use that to your advantage rather than sort of just like being at the will of the, yeah, yeah. of your emotions when you're playing. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, we're going to, we have to wrap up for today, but I think um, real quick, a couple, a couple real life examples, or, or I should say non-sports examples um, that come to mind, you know, mainly like in relationships, right? If your partner is struggling or if they're uh, negative, that can have a huge effect on a person in work. I mean, I think who you have as a boss can change momentum. If you have that one toxic workplace uh, teammate, 
that absolutely spreads throughout the, mm-hmm. throughout the team and can change momentum. So, um, so that is it for today. I want to remind everyone just to, you know, subscribe on YouTube, uh, leave some comments. If you have any thoughts or questions about our episodes, we, we want to engage with people and, and uh, have a dialogue about some of these things because we're, we're passionate about it. Um, we want to thank everyone for listening to the Grim Drive podcast for this discussion about momentum in sports. Uh, we'll be back next week. Thanks, everyone.